Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, my name is Pete, and I'm the director of Chi Alpha, and it is my joy to bring God's Word to us tonight. Somebody asked me what, what I was speaking on um, earlier before the meeting. I said, well, you're just going to have to wait and find out. <laughs> I said, but I bet you know where it's coming from. And he said, Exodus. And I was like, no, it's Romans. But anyways, it was a joke. Uh, for those of you who are new here, we're doing a series through the book of Romans uh, called Foundation, because it is a book that builds us This gospel foundation, in other words, a foundation on the good news of Jesus and how when we build our lives on the good news of Jesus, it changes everything. And so what we're looking at is what is this good news and how does it change our lives? Uh, Tonight, we're going to start a two-part mini-series within the series. It almost sounds, you know, like a movie, right? Um, And I'm calling this two-part mini-series a foundation for freedom. A foundation for freedom. Um, the chapter we're getting ready to look at, a famous preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones, an Englishman, said that the chapter we're getting ready to look at is perhaps the most liberating chapter of the Bible. And I want to just say this. I've been praying for you that God would use these next two weeks to bring freedom in some people's lives who today struggle to have freedom. And so it is with that hope and that desire and that prayer we enter this. Can we just pray for just a moment? Heavenly Father, we look to you. Lord, I, I lift these students before you and I pray that your truth would come alive in their hearts and bring freedom. That their relationship with sin would fundamentally change because of these next two weeks because of your word, because of the work of Jesus on their behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, Win the Day, Mark Batterson makes a very compelling statement, a very bold, provocative statement. He says this, If you want to change your life, start by changing your story. If you want to change your life, start by changing your story. In fact, he goes to say this, the difference between success and failure oftentimes is the stories we tell ourselves. Let me share a story from my life that illustrates this. I grew up with an older brother who was valedictorian of our high school. Yeah, you already feel sorry for me, right? You're like, well, that was me. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of, right? Um, My brother was valedictorian of our high school. He was one year, or two years older than me, but one year in school. So that means this. I came in his wake, right? So they would have my my brother, and the very next year, they would have me. And I was three days away from the cutoff line of if I could go to school that year or not. The the cutoff used to be November 1st. My birthday is October 28th. If you're wondering, just go ahead and mark that down. But anyways... um, October 28th, which means this, I was always the youngest in my class growing up. And so um, my brother's a really uber smart guy, valedictorian. I was the person who's youngest in class. Not only that, I, I struggled when it came time to learn, for learning to read, and, and I, I was a slow reader. And, and soon, I just had this story that I 
began to tell myself that I was not academically capable. And as a result of that, in fact, I remember one time a teacher came up to me and she said, I just can't believe you're Don Bulette's brother. And it was not a compliment. And as a result of this sense that I just thought I wasn't smart enough, so what's the use? So I I honestly didn't study in high school. I went weeks without bringing a book home from school. Like, you're like, that sounds glorious. Well, you know, there's some benefits, I suppose. But um, needless to say, I was not a high-achieving student ever in school. And then I went to college. And I, my very first semester in college, something happened that stunned me. I made really good grades, like all A's. And, okay, here, here's what you need to know. Okay, here's what you need to know. I never made all A's for nine weeks in my life. Not in second grade, not in third grade, not in fourth grade, and definitely not my junior or senior year. Of high. I, I mean, this had never happened, and all of a sudden, I, I, had, I was like... This has never happened. And can I tell you, that moment, it flipped the script of my academic career. And here's what happened. When that happened, I realized I am capable. Like all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, maybe maybe God has gifted me where I could excel academically. And so here's what happened. It changed um, the, the way I approached my studies. It changed the expectations that I had for myself. It changed what I thought was possible. And so I applied myself differently. I studied differently. I thought there were new possibilities. I had new expectations for myself. And my grades excelled. Here's the facts. The story I had told myself growing up was a lie. I had been living a lie. God had made me capable, but I had told myself I wasn't capable. Uh, Mark Batterson, in his book, When the Day, he, he talks about how we all have what he calls signature stories. And these are the stories that are in operation in, like, as the subplots of our lives that, uh, that come towards us and that we kind of we use to define ourselves. And so um, oftentimes we define ourselves by maybe our worst moments. Or maybe we define ourselves by our greatest weakness or our greatest woundedness or how we feel about ourselves. I have a question for you. What stories do you tell yourself? What stories do you tell yourself? Um, Where do they come from? Who's narrating that story? Is it the voice of the accuser? Is it the father of lies? Have you given, as Mark Batterson says, editorial control over to the author and finisher of your faith? Here's the fact. We need to have the script flipped on many of the stories. In fact, Mark Batterson in his book, Win the Day, which is um, where he has a chapter called Flip the Script, he says this, we need to have the script be our the, our, the scripture to be our script, to be our script cure, he says, right? In other words, if you have the right story, in fact, he says there's one signature story that is the story for all followers of Jesus that should define our identity, and you know what it is. It's the story of the gospel, that if, if we will make that our signature story, it will change everything. And here's, here's the point. Here's the point. That 
What we're going to look at tonight, the chapter we're going to look at tonight is going to flip the script. It's going to be a new story of your relationship with sin, of what really is true. So you don't live a lie, so I don't live a lie when it comes to our relationship with sin. And as we flip the script and we find out what the true story is in our relationship with sin, then like my academic career, what will happen is you'll realize there's new possibilities. You'll have a different approach. You'll have new expectations and you'll have different results. So if you will, turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Before we read chapter 6, and we're going to read the first 14 verses tonight, but before we read that, let me give you a little refresher on the first five chapters of the book of Romans. The first five chapters, first five chapters basically lay out how we were people who were um, fundamentally sinners, that we, we were defined in many ways by our sin nature. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about, in, in chapter 5 of Romans, it, it talks about how we were in Adam, and as a result of being in Adam, in other words, we had union with Adam, that our, our um, sinful nature was inherited from Adam as our forefather, and as a result of that, he... He starts to talk about sin, not just as a verb. In other words, he talks about sin not just as something you do, but as a noun of of this entity that's now a part of your life. And that this, this entity of sin now rules over you. And as a result of the reign of sin in your life that rules over you, now, because of the reign of sin, now death reigns over you. And because of that, or... And as a result of the reign of sin, condemnation reigns over you. And that was our situation outside of Christ. But because of the death, burial, and resurrection, and victory over sin that Jesus won, that we are now, that our union with Adam has been ended, and now we are made one with Christ, and we are brought into union with Christ. And because of the union with Christ, here's the good news. Here's what happens. That no longer does sin reign over us, but grace reigns over us. Right? So grace has overwhelmed sin. Have a not only has grace overwhelmed sin, but grace has overthrown sin. So now grace reigns in our life. And not and and so so sin has been removed and now grace reigns over us. Not only that, death no longer reigns over us, but now life reigns over us. And not only that, condemnation no longer reigns over us. But righteousness reigns over us. And so this is, this is how chapter 5 ends, these declarations of that. So where sin abounded, grace overwhelmed sin and overrode sin and dethroned sin. And now grace is over your life. And so here's the next logical question that we get in chapter 6, verse 1. So somebody's listening to Paul lay out the glorious truths of our salvation. And then here's what it says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Okay, that is a great question because when you hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed appropriately and rightly where it is all by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and it's in the finished work of Jesus, it's not based on your works, you start to wonder, well, does it matter how I live? Can I go on sinning so that grace may abound? In fact, if that quit, in fact, I, the last time I spoke, somebody came up to me and said, but, but what about how the, way, the way we live? I was like, that is the exact question you should be asking because that means you understand grace. 
And so somebody is rhetorically asking this question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And Paul says, by no means, verse 2. We are those who die to sin. How can we live any longer in it? In other words, certainly not, absolutely not. You don't just continue to sin, you die to sin. And then he's going to share something. He says, don't you know your story? Verse three, listen to this. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, stop right there for a second. He says, or don't you know, and then what are the next words? That all of us, and in fact, so here's what I'm getting ready to say, or here's what I want you to hear. What I'm getting ready to say isn't just for super Christians. It says, don't you know that all of us, if you look at your neighbor, they're all of us, right? Look side to side, look at yourself. This means this isn't just for the super Christian, this is for all of us. And what he does is he points to this reality that defines us as we are brought into union with Christ. He describes it and he looks at their baptism. Okay, first of all, here's the thing. Uh, Paul would not have understood a Christian who had never been baptized. So he points to baptism as if that was an obvious thing that people have been baptized. Therefore, if you've never been baptized, I would encourage you to be baptized the next possible opportunity. Okay, Um, there there you go. Okay. Baptism does not save us. Baptism does not regenerate us. But baptism is an enactment of the union that we have with Christ. And he says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized as that? So when we put somebody under the water and they are immersed in water, it is symbolic of their burial with Christ. And then as they're under the water, then they come up out of the water, which is symbolic of their new life in Christ. And he says, don't you understand that that's like a mini drama? And it's not just an event that happens one time in the Christian life. Here here it is. Baptism is the paradigm for the entire Christian life. It is the paradigm for the entire Christian life that... Your old life has been buried, and now you live in newness of life. And Paul's saying, that is your signature story. That is the story that defines you. And he's going to now expound on this in verses 5 through 10. But before I read that, let me just say this. Paul is fundamentally saying this. You don't live like you used to live because you're not who you used to be. You have a new identity and your identity is bound up in the fact that you are now in union with Jesus and what's true of him is true of you. So you don't live like you used to live because you're not who you used to be. Okay. I want to give you the main point of the message and then we're going to finish the passage. The main point of the message is this. Go ahead and put it up there. Who we are determines what we do, not the other way around. Who we are determines what we do, 
not the other way around. In other words, what you do does not determine who you are, but who you are determines how you live and what you do. And so Paul is saying, certainly not. You can't continue in sin because that's not who you are. You live in newness of life, and that determines what you do. This truth can change your life. And let me tell you how I know it can change your life. Because I gave a message a couple of years ago on who we are in Christ. And as I gave that message, I recommended this book called Who I Am in Christ, okay? And it, by the way, I've recommended this book to a few people over the last decade. And I've never had anyone read it who didn't come back and say it was life-changing. You know, they... And so this, I've seen God use this book to change many people. So I recommended this book at the end of the message. It, this is during COVID and, I, you know, when we're doing this all over simulcast and I didn't know who would buy it. Well, some, one of the students at that point immediately bought it. And then a couple months later, they sent me this email. And I want to read the email to you, okay? No one will know who it is. Um, I'm going to tell the gender of the person. But let me read the email. They said, I bought the book immediately, and within reading the first few pages, my entire view of self was shattered. I was stunned at what the scripture said was true about my current identity in Christ. Though I would not have said it, the student said, I saw the core of my identity as a sinner who struggles with lust. And the enemy had used this to shroud me in shame. Reading statements like, I am a saint, felt wrong because of how I viewed myself, did not measure up to the world's definition of a saint. But scripture is abundantly clear that my identity is as a saint, and it it is true in Christ. In other words, the student's like, I couldn't, when I read that, that I was a saint, I couldn't argue with it because it came from the scriptures. And it was true that in Christ, I am a saint. And then they said this, one of my favorite lines from the book is, it is not, this may sound familiar, it is not what we do that determines who we are. It is who we are that determines what we do. The most profound thing I now understand about my identity in Christ is the nowness of it. While I have heard most of the good things said about us in the scriptures, I've always believed them to be entirely future-oriented and not present. Are you guys following this? Like, okay, yeah, one day I'll be a saint, or one day I'll be righteous, or one day I'll have new life. And then the email ended this way. In the past few months, I have experienced more freedom from lust than I ever have had prior The change came from my understanding of my identity. The reason why I wanted to read that email is because I want you to understand the power of this truth. Who you are determines what you do and not the other way around. When you understand who you are in Christ then you'll start to have different expectations. Then you'll start to have a different approach. And then you'll probably see different results because you have flipped the script to who you really are in Christ. 
Let's keep reading verse 5. For if we have been united with him, like, if we've been united with him in death like his, we are certainly also united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. What, what Paul is saying is this. Okay, Paul is not saying you're going to be sinless. Okay, just so you know. Paul's not saying that you'll never be tempted to sin. Jesus was tempted to sin. But what Paul is saying is this entity called sin that had power over your life no longer reigns over you. That that sin no longer has enslaved you. Sin is not your master. He's going to say in a few verses later, sin is not your master any, any longer. You don't have to obey sin. He no longer reigns over you, okay? This entity called sin no, no longer reigns over you. As I was thinking about this passage, I thought, what would be a good illustration of that? And I was thinking, um, I... I I worked at McDonald's for a long time. Um, whenever I was in high school and into college, I know you're all jealous, but um, I had some connections. So anyways, uh, so once I got the job, of course, I didn't quit it quickly. I mean, not everybody gets an opportunity like that. But um, so I, I worked there for three and a half years. And so I rem- remember, you know, sometimes you'd go in when you're not working and you just hang out there because why wouldn't you, you know, just go hang out at McDonald's. And imagine you go to your former employer, and you no longer work there, but you go to see your old coworkers, right? And then there's this tyrant of a shift manager that's there, and we'll just, I'll make up, I don't make up a name, we'll go, let let them be unnamed. You can name this tyrant of a shift manager, you may have worked for them, I don't know. Okay, and and then all of a sudden you're sitting there talking to the coworker, and, and, and they say, Pete, you need to start mopping. What are you doing here? You need to be mopping. If you're going to be here, you need to start working and start telling. I'd be like, who do you think you are? I don't work for you, right? I don't know if you got the memo, but I quit. I don't work here anymore. I'm a customer. I need some fries. You know what I'm saying? You can go mop if you need to mop. I I agree. I think it needs to be mopped. Why don't you come out here and mop, right? The point is... Anybody ever watch Shark Tank? Anybody ever watch Shark Tank? Okay, so you know Kevin O'Leary has this, you're dead to me? Like, it's like, it's like you can look at sin and be like, you're dead to me. I don't take your orders anymore. I, our relationship is over. You're not my boss anymore. You don't reign anymore. Your crown has been broken, right? That's the picture of what, of, of, of what Paul is saying is that the tyranny and the power of sin, you cannot obey now. Isn't that good news? Not only that, verse 8, but if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And so guess what? The life you live, how do you live it? You live it to God. Because now you have been You have died to sin and you are now free to live to God. Because here's the thing, who you are is not determined by what you do, right? But what you do, I mean, I'm sorry, but who you are (laughs) determines, I'm sorry, (laughs) back up. Who you are determines what you do, not what you do determines who you are, right? And so we start with who we are and then we live out of that. This 
can be a game changer because many Christians think they're powerless over sin. And they then identify themselves as a sinner because they look at their, their weekend and their last week and the week before that. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. You're in Christ and sin doesn't reign over you. Grace reigns over you. And you died to sin and you're now alive to God and you can live differently. You know, when a non-Christian sins, they are being consistent with their identity. They don't claim to have to live any other way. But when a Christian sins, it doesn't, you know, a Christian sin doesn't invalidate who they are in Christ, but it is inconsistent with who they are in Christ. Does that make sense? Like, it doesn't invalidate. No, grace reigns over our sin, but it, we want to live consistent with who we are. So back to my story as a in my academic story, is when I realized that I was capable, my approach changed. I started to apply myself because I realized I had this potential that I didn't ever realize I had before. So my approach changed, my expectations changed, and my results changed. My GPA was higher as a senior in college than it was as a senior in high school. How many people would like that? <laughs> and so I, I always tell people the only way I could come to UVA was to be the campus pastor. So that's how I got here. But um, And the same is true with sin. When you realize that you are capable, your approach changes, your expectations change, and you can experience freedom. And again, I'm not talking about sinlessness, but I'm talking about a new trajectory that's established. And then verse 11, let's read verse 11. Paul says this, In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul says this. In the same way, now that you know about your union with Christ, and now that you know what is fundamentally true of you, not just for the all-star Christians, but for the the -the run-of-the-mill Christian, because there is no run-of-the-mill Christian. We're all united with Christ. We've all died to sin. We're all alive with God. He says, here's what I want you to do. In fact, this is the first imperative statement of the entire book of Romans. The first five chapters, there are exactly zero imperative statements. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are and what God's done for you. And now this is the first imperative statement. Are you ready for the first imperative statement? Here's what it is. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin. In other words, declare it. Count it to be true that you're dead to sin but alive to God. Okay. Um, Anybody ever taken an overseas flight? where you change like lots of time zones. There were a few years uh, where uh, Amy and I, and I, I traveled several times to Dubai. And uh, one time Amy and I landed and we had appointments right when we got off the plane. But you know, you, you leave and then you like land and it's like the morning of a new day. And you know, your body, so you, you land and they're like, welcome to Dubai, it's now 8 a.m. And you're like, actually, I'm looking at my watch. It says 10 p.m.? And what do you do? If I get my watch. You you take off your watch and you change the time and you reckon it as true. It is 8 a.m. And then what happens is when it's time to go to bed because it says it's 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. or 2 a.m., whatever you go, you know, I I know when you go to bed. Okay. (laughs) You go to bed because in Dubai they tell you it's now midnight. And you're like, oh, I better go to bed because it's midnight. And you lay there and you're looking at the ceiling 
because it's noon or it's 2 p.m., you know, and you're like, I am not tired at all right now. Huh, what are we going to do here, you know? Hey, because you can't... Be, because you've reckoned it to be true, but right now you don't experience it. Here's what I know, that within like three days, your body clock starts to line up with theirs. Because what you've reckoned is true, you've now adjusted to that new reality. And here's the point. We are to reckon that we are dead to sin, but alive to God, and that eventually what will happen is our lives will come into line with what we've reckoned to be true. Are you guys following me with this? So here's what I want us to do. I want you to say something with me. Um, I want you to say, sin is not my master. Can you guys say? I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. Okay, I want you to say that again. Sin is not my master. I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. Okay, let's do it all one time, right? Sin is not my master. I'm dead to sin, but alive to God. And you know what? Why should you say that? You know why you should say that? Because sin is not your master. But you're dead to sin and alive to God. And so that's why you should say it. I mean, could you imagine living where sin was not your master, but you were dead to sin and alive to God? Yeah, you can, right? Because why? Because? Oh, you guys can do better than that. No, no. Because why? Exactly. So here's the thing. The next time you come to the moment of temptation and you are tempted to be jealous, you're tempted to be greedy, you're tempted to be proud, you're tempted to be ungracious and unloving and critical, you're tempted to lust. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pause for just a moment and tell yourself, Yeah, just count it to be true. Just say, okay, okay hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, I'm getting ready to be jealous, but real quick. Okay, now what was I, right? Are you guys following me? Do you, this, Paul says, reckon it true over your life. This isn't the power of positive thinking. This is the power of redemptive thinking. This is the power of letting your redemption of what is true of who you are in Christ become true of the way you live. So the next time you're in that moment of temptation, you're going to stop and you're going to reckon something true. Sin is not your master. You're dead to sin and alive to God. And that can be the beginning freedom. Do you believe it? It's making the story of the gospel your signature story. I have walked with people who've been so bound up in sin and given up all hope. I mean, I could tell you stories, but you know what I saw? Them to come realize Sin is not their master. They're dead to sin, but alive to God. So I have incredible hope when I'm in one of those situations. And then, just to finish this passage, this, this is what, okay, so after you count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God, because we're just doing what Paul said, okay? This isn't, 
This is about having this information become revelation in our hearts that then tra- that it transforms our lives, right? He says, after that, after you've reckoned yourself dead to sin, therefore, a great big therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so as to obey its evil desires. In other words, you're still gonna have desires that will not be in line, but don't obey them. And you can say no, why? Because sin is not your master. You're dead to sin, but alive to God. Yeah, thank you, you got it. Then he says, and do not offer any part of yourself, verse 13, to sin as an instrument of wickedness. And by the way, I I took a seminary course on the book of Romans, and when it said instrument of wickedness, the the seminary professor translated it as a weapon of wickedness. I was like, ooh, weapon of wickedness. Don't offer any part of your body as a weapon of wickedness. And that word instrument that's translated instrument can be translated weapon because it's actually a military term. In other words, don't use your life that God has given you as a weapon that would have a trail of destruction and a trail of death behind it. Because what we see is the wages of sin is death in this very chapter. In other words, that's what it leaves behind. It's what it brings. Instead, we see verse It says this, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. In other words, be a a weapon of righteousness. Like, leave blessing in your wake. Leave, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna leave life behind. (laughs) You You know what this weapon does? It leaves life. Leave life behind. Leave, leave a trail of blessing. Leave a, a trail of, for the, that glorifies God. And so Paul says, we're not passive in this. Just because sin is not your master and you're dead to sin alive to God doesn't mean you're totally passive. No, it, it means you, live, you make different choices because who you are determines what you do. So as I conclude, I'm going to call the band up. So band, if you will come up. I have a couple concluding questions. What is your signature story? Have you made your failure your signature story? Have you made your greatest weakness your signature story? Or are you letting the truth of the gospel and your union with Christ flip the script and be your signature story? That you are, that sin is not your master, but you are. That is the truth. And if you live anything else, you're living a lie. That is, you're living outside of what the truth proclaims over your life. And again, please don't let this cause any condemnation to anybody who's been bound in sin. This is to just flip the script so you start to believe something over yourself that is about life. If you want to change your life, change your story. Secondly, Will you count it true? 
Will you agree with the Apostle Paul? You can go ahead and play some, some beautiful stuff there. All right. Make me sound spiritual if you can. All right, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Will you believe what the Apostle Paul said? Because Apostle Paul was a messed up dude himself. The Apostle Paul knew a lot of messed up dudes and doodads, right? Like he knew, man, all right, we're all, all right. He knew, but he'd also seen that sin was no longer their master. They were dead to sin, but alive to God. Will you count it as true tonight? Because if you will flip the script and embrace truth and make that your signature story and reckon it, count it, could be the beginning of freedom. Now next week we'll talk about other realities that join this new story. It says to then offer yourselves to God. I want to close by giving us an opportunity to offer, as it says, every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Just go through a couple parts you could offer to God tonight, and then we're going to have some time before we sing to offer these things. Maybe tonight you want to offer your eyes to God. Say, God, I want you to use my eyes as an instrument of righteousness. I want them to fulfill your purposes. I, I want to have eyes of compassion, eyes of love, eyes of grace. maybe you'd want to offer your tongue. James says, tongue can cause great destruction as an instrument or weapon of wickedness. Say, God, I I want to offer my tongue to you to be an instrument of blessing, not of cursing. An instrument of of truth and grace not an instrument of bitterness. Can I just tell you that there's oftentimes, there's just things I just don't want to say. And I'll tell him, I don't, I don't know, maybe I, I don't even like saying that because it just doesn't bless. Let's offer our tongues as instruments to God tonight. Maybe you offer your mind as an instrument of righteousness, that your thought life would be pure, that your attitude would be godly, that your your thoughts would be full of grace and not self-righteousness. Maybe you offer your heart tonight and you ask him to, to make your heart beat for the things that his heart beats for, that he would give you a heart of love and a heart that is humble, not a heart that's cold and a heart that's proud. That he'd give you a heart that's tender and responsive to his desires for your life. That he'd give you a heart with pure motives. That he would give you his passions. That his passions would start to form your passions. Close our eyes for a moment.
going to, I've asked the worship team, they're going to lead us in a song in just a moment. I've asked them just to play for a minute or two. And perhaps you need to offer yourself tonight. And if so, feel free to come up here and, and kneel. Perhaps you want to journal some things that you want to offer to God tonight. Maybe it's your ear to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit or your hands and feet to be responsive to His will. Maybe it's it's your wallet or your diploma or your passport. I don't know. Or maybe you just want to sit for a moment. And And I encourage you to literally pray to offer different faculties to Him. Different parts of yourself to Him. Because you... In your union with Christ, you are dead to sin, but alive to God. So let's present ourselves as instruments of righteousness for His glory. You're not who you used to be, so you don't have to live like you used to live. you're not a Christian in here tonight, I just want to say this, that when you embrace Jesus, Jesus gives you a power to live differently. Let's just take a a moment, and in a moment we'll stand together and we'll sing a song together. Let's just take a moment as a holy offering to offer ourselves, as the text says, as instruments of righteousness to God. By the way, this book on sale. Uh, if you want to buy it, we're just going to, I mean, we're not trying to make any money. We're just trying to make it available if you want to buy it. Let's give an offering tonight. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we offer ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness. Lord, I thank you for each of these precious students. I pray that the glorious truth of their union with Christ would permeate their hearts. Lord, I pray that that you'd make this a revelation in each of our hearts. That we're in union with you and what's true of you is true of us. So we offer ourselves to that end. Make us more like Jesus. Isn't it good news? That sin is not your master. You're dead to sin. But alive to God. Can we say it one more time? Sin is not your master. I'm dead to sin. But alive to God. Amen. Amen. Well. Who you are determines what you do, not the other way around. We pronounce the benediction over you. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let's have a great week following Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.